Okay, guys, let's all turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. So living in Florida, we have the blessings of technology in 2023. Every time there was a hurricane coming, we were giving ample time to prepare for it. When I mean ample time, sometimes even two to three weeks. You see them starting in at the coast of Africa, and they start coming this way. You start seeing three or four of them. You're like, one of them's going to hit. So what do you prepare for? Why do we prepare for? Well, you need food for about a week. Uh, you might not have electricity afterwards for like two or three weeks, so you have to prepare. You need drinking water. Sometimes you fill up your tub, and you have that water there. You also... Um, buy a lot of gallons of water, just to, it's, it's, it's three gallons per day per person. That's the, if you ever live in Florida or, or prepare for a hurricane. We used to board up our windows and our balcony doors to prevent the wind or anything from breaking the windows. We put away things that will fly. We make sure we have enough medicine. Now, we, that's during the, the storm. Then you prepare for after the storm, which is the worst part, actually. With no electricity, if it's a severe hurricane like Andrew, it's martial law. People are walking the streets with their rifles, with their shotguns, protecting their property, protecting the survival uh, food that they have at all expense. Those that live in like flood-prone flood prone areas are told to evacuate. And just like this gym is it's built to stand against tornadoes, all elementary schools in Miami and high schools and middle schools are, serve as hurricane shelters. So if you lived in a trailer home, if you lived in a flood zone, and you didn't have enough money to evacuate the state, you go to a shelter. You take your family with you, and basically it's a big, fun summer camp. Depending on the category of the hurricane, some people might just board up their house, put up their furniture in the second floor, and leave. Just leave. You don't want to be anywhere near it. And we did that in 2016 with Hurricane Maria, and it was... The mass exodus, the, the largest number of people living in state in the history of America. It was what took four hours to get to Orlando from Miami took eight hours. And to get out of Florida took like 23 hours. All four or five lanes were, were jammed with traffic. They were just going, going, going. Now, you would think that after as many hurricanes that people get and experience, that everyone, every time a hurricane would come, they would prepare for it. But that is far from it. There's some people that don't prepare, and they always say, they always hype it up in the news, it's never going to come. They actually don't prepare. They actually, you know what they do? They actually go to the beach and enjoy the waves that this hurricane is producing before it actually hits. They don't, sh they don't put shutters in their home. They don't prepare. They just do what they want to do, however they want to do it. And they mock at those that do, and they say, ha, ah, look at you, you prepared, you actually prepared, and, and I did it, and I was so great. These people, they're gambling with their lives, right? And some end up paying that price with their lives. Today, we're going to continue to learn about being alert for Christ's return. And like the example I gave you, some are going to be ready and doing what the Lord has commanded to, just like those that were prepared for the hurricane. And some, just like they were surfing the waves and not doing what they were supposed to, are going to pay for not being prepared for Christ's second coming with eternal punishment. Let's read today's passage in Matthew 24, verses 42 to 51. The Word of God says, Therefore be on the alert, 
for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief, the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, My master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour which he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So for context, several lessons we've been discussing, chapter 24, dealing with the end of times, dealing with this, uh, the doctrine of eschatology. Now, the beauty of preaching verse by verse means that when we get to passages that we, not, we don't feel very comfortable with, we still, we tackle it. Why? Because it's our duty to do so. The, all of God's word is God's word. Amen? Especially when you're doing the reading plan and you're going through Leviticus, there's a purpose for reading Leviticus and the minor prophets and things that you might see. Why is this important? It's important because it's God's word. So when it comes to the end of times, it's important. It's important that we all know and that our heart is ready for Christ's second coming. Always know that if you study the word properly within its appropriate context and you use exegesis and you take the meaning out of it using the grammatical approach, historical approach, within the context, you can understand the Bible. And even books like Revelation, Daniel, and Isaiah. So, Matthew 24 and 25 typically talk about the tribulation, all right? The tribulation period. Just to give you a bird's eye view of eschatology, of the end of times, bear with me here, okay? End of times begins with the rapture, okay? Those who are in Christ and those that were dead in Christ, they raise, and those that are alive, raise and are go and be with the Lord before the tribulation. Then you have the tribulation. Tribulation of seven years of God's wrath over humanity, giving them what we've deserved from the beginning of time. After the tribulation, you have the battle of Armageddon, which is all the nations come up against Israel to fight them. At that moment, you have Christ coming down on the white horse and defeating the battle and winning. That's the battle of Armageddon, Christ's return. That puts us into now the millennial kingdom, a literal thousand years, where Christ will reign here on this earth with the saints here on this earth, going to be a time of great joy. It's kind of like a pre-taste of heaven. Not perfect yet. There will be sin. Not as much. Satan will be bounded for a thousand years. All right? After the millennial kingdom is done, there will be one more battle against God's people. God sends fire from heaven, destroys them, and then comes the great white judgment throne, which is there Every unbeliever who has ever, who, who rejected Christ will be thrown into the lake of fire forever. Those that died during tribulation, will, if they didn't believe in Christ, will go to hell. And those that did will be raised and go to heaven. And then from there, we go into the eternal state, which is heaven. All right? Bird's view, guys. This is a very bird's view. Rapture, tribulation, second coming, Armageddon, millennial kingdom, great white throne, and eternal state. 
So as believers, we are called to be ready at any point in time for Christ's second coming. And we interpret this second coming in two stages. Okay? The second coming of Christ involves two stages. The first stage is the rapture. The rapture. 2 Thessalonians 4, 16-18 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. This is the rapture. Happens before the seven years of tribulation. That's why we call, it's called pre-trib, and we and our church believe this. This is, in your theological terms, pre-tribulation. Where pre-trib rapture occurs before tribulation. That's the first part of Christ's second coming. Any questions on this? Now we move on to the second part of Christ's coming, which is after the seven years revela- uh, um, tribulation. And it's usually before is the day of the Lord, and it's the battle of Armageddon at the end of it. Everyone, open your Bibles to Revelation 19. Verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it, is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he Threads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in midheaven, Come assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of the commanders and the flesh of the mighty men and the flesh of horses and all those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great." And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And this is where he is triumphant. Amen. This is the king that we serve, an eternal king, a powerful king, a mighty king is Christ. So going back to our uh, t- uh, bird's view timeline, going into the tribulation, there will be no believers because All believers from the beginning of time until that point are going to be with heaven, with Jesus in in, in heaven. Amen? Now, during the tribulation, people can't be converted. And there will be people that will come to Christ during those times. It's going to be very hard for them. It's going to be the the worst persecution ever experienced that mankind will happen to these believers during these times. Yet God will still sustain them. And God will give them the words to say when they're going and the strength to persevere. And in last class, when Brandon was talking about, the context of 24 directly involves them. He's telling the the believers of the tribulation, be ready, I'm coming. And what a blessing it is for those believers in the tribulation to know that their Christ is coming. 
He's coming again for them. Because the pain and the suffering that they're going to go through to know that, okay, seven years, seven years can go, can seem an eternity if you're experienced all this persecution and turmoil, but the Lord is gracious enough to do so for those believers during that time. Now, in today's passage, we're going to discuss, Jesus is talking to his disciples about that specific time, and now the therefore, we're going to talk about, he's going back to talking to believers in general, be ready for Christ's second coming, whether it's now, during the tribulation period, be ready. And that's what I want you to get into today. Because we can get into the eschatological details and get lost in it. And don't get lost in any of that. Don't get lost in the message. The message is to be ready for Christ. Whether you are a survivor in the tribulation, whether you are a believer now, be ready for Christ's coming. Whatever stage that might be. Any, amen. Do I, any questions on that? Guys, we got, I need you to have that focus so we can move on and there's no confusion on that. All right. So today's instructions can be divided into two sections. The first section deals with Jesus' commands to his disciples to be ready. And the second section will cover two illustrations that will motivate us to obey his command. The theme that I want you to have in your mind as we read and as we study this passage is Believers of all ages should await Christ's return with joy and diligence, and unbelievers should repent and believe. And when I say ages, I mean the, the coming age and this age, all ages. Tribulation age, this age, all ages at any time should be ready for Christ's return with joy and diligence, and unbelievers should repent and believe immediately. So let's look at the first section of today's lesson. Jesus' command. Jesus' command which is be on the alert. Verse 42. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. I will explain to you that therefore, we're switching now. Jesus is mentioning we're going, to talk, we're, we're going from tribulation specific to now be ready specific for all generations, all ages. It is a shift from, again, just tribulation to now all of us should be ready for Christ's return. When is it that you're most alert? When you're sleeping or when you're awake? Sometimes, this, how many of you were sleeping this week during the thunderstorms? Right? Doesn't it seem like when you're sleeping, that sounds like super loud, louder than it would be when you're awake? But don't be fooled. You're more alert when you're awake than when you're sleeping. Amen? Got it? Yes. So that's why Jesus is saying, be alert. The Greek word for be alert is written in the present tense. What does that mean? It means that it is a continuous command that should be followed until it is completed. We are never to not be in alert. We are to be in alert until Christ returns. We are always to be on alert. We cannot not be in alert. We cannot not just take a rest and say, nah, this is not going to happen. Always be on the alert at all times. It is the same Greek word that is used in 2 Peter 5, 1 Peter 5.8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Be aware as if your life depended on it. Because you know why? It does. It does depend. Your life depends on this. So, any question on the alert, on the, on the command that Jesus is telling us? Be on the alert. Constantly. Always. All the time until he comes. Any questions on the command? Okay, 
Now, this is the command. Now let's go to the illustrations that Jesus provides to help us, to help motivate us to be on the alert. And the first illustration is the landowner. The first illustration deals with the landowner in verse 43. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. He gives us this great example to show us how are we supposed to be on the alert. He starts with, be sure of this. Meaning, take it to the bank, hear what I'm saying because it's real and it's going to happen. He gives the example of a landowner, right, in charge of his home. And he knows when he's going to be robbed. He got a, a clue. He got a hint. A neighborhood watchdog called him saying, hey, I heard this. Be ready. And he's ready when it happens. Seems logical, right? Pretty much. If I were to tell you, hey, May 31st, tomorrow morning at 1 a.m., someone's going to, so Wednesday morning, Wednesday night at 1 a.m., someone's going to break in your house. I heard, I saw, I, I overheard them at Homeland in the grocery store. And I told you, and they got your address. They know how many people live in your house. These people are professionals. I hope that you would prepare. I hope. I hope that you, you know, Call the cops, letting him know what's going on. Maybe buy a guard dog for a rent one. I don't know. You know, call Joel. You know, have, have him be ready with a, a hose to, to, to hose them all down. Just don't do a home alone. Just don't do that. We don't need that. You're not going to go against robbers on your own. That's a movie. It's for a reason. It's called a movie, all right? Be prepared. Be prepared. Know that it's coming. Jesus tells us that he's coming. Therefore, we are to be prepared. Now, notice that he uses a thief analogy. Does that mean that Jesus is a thief? No, he's not. He's using the characteristics of a thief, which are what? what, 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 what how does a thief steal? Anybody? Does he announce it? Hey, I'm going to steal from you. Be ready. No, he's a, he's a thief because he does it what? What? It begins with an S and it ends with a Lee. Secretly or sneaky Lee, sneakily, hey, hey, sure. He comes when no one expects it, at a time when no one expects, expects it. Why? Because he wants to be successful. He wants to take your, whatever he's taking and move on without getting caught. And we know that on the other side, a thief wouldn't announce his plans either, right? So you think that this seems logical. I'm going to be robbed. Let me prepare. But just like I gave you the example earlier of the people who live in Florida and they've experienced multiple hurricanes multiple times, they still don't care. They still won't prepare. They want to do what they want to do. They don't want to take time from their busy day to put up shutters, to go make long lines to get gas, to make long lines to get water, to get long lines to get food. They don't want to do any of that. They just want to relax, watch their TV. Do what they want to serve their own kingdom. Be their own Lord. No one's going to tell me what to do. No one. See, what Jesus is asking here is being your Lord. Being ready. See, without a regenerated heart, it's not going to happen. As much as you think you want to, it's only a work from the Lord. It's only through his grace that he allows us to choose him, to be prepared. 
Look at the example we just learned about with Brandon. In Matthew 24, verses 38 to 39. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. These people saw Noah's ark. 120 years of preaching, 120 years of construction. They saw him preparing for 120 years. They didn't care. They didn't ask. I'm not going to, what? No, I'm not going to stop living my life to help you build a boat. For what? It's never rained before anyways. Are you kidding me? No, I'm, I'm going to. And then guess what? The flood comes in verse 39. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. But let me tell you something. I promise you. Well, I can't promise you, but I'm pretty sure that if they were saved, if, if, if Noah would have been like, hey, come on in. I'm saving you. Because they didn't do it on their own, as Lord, as, as, as dying to their self, they would have been happy. Happy to keep on living the sinful life that they were living. Happy to keep on serving their own kingdom that they were because they, if they didn't want to do it before the flood, what, do you, what makes the difference that they're going to do it after? They would get there to survive, but to keep on living on their pleasures, on their desires, on their terms, as they want to be the God of their life. So what does Jesus say? Verse 44, for this reason, you must also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at any hour when you do not think he will. He further explains the illustration. He goes, just like if you predict something, is going, someone's going to rob you, you can also predict you, so you, just like you can't predict some, someone's going to rob you, you also can't predict the second coming of Christ. That's why you have to be ready. Now, what does ready mean? What does being ready mean? Well, being ready means have you repented of your sins and put your trust solely on Christ for your salvation? Are you a Christian? That is what being ready means. Be ready. Be a Christian. Put your faith in Christ. Make him Lord. Repent from your sins and believe that he is powerful enough to save you. Call out for him to save you. That is what mean, being ready is. What is not ready? Well, I don't really want to make Jesus Lord yet. I want to do this, do that, do this before I actually commit. You come to church. You know what it is. You've read Mark 8, 34 and 35. Daily take up your cross and fall. You see all that and you're like, well, I don't think I'm ready for that yet. So I don't want to be a hypocrite. At least you're consistent, right? You're like, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'll, be, I'll make Jesus Lord when I want to make him Lord. When I have done everything that I've wanted to do as a young person, then I'll do it. Well, that is not being ready, my friends. That is being the foolish people that didn't prepare for the hurricane. Because you don't know when your life will end. It can end right now. It can end in a second. And because you waited to make Jesus Lord, you will pay for that eternally. Ready. Making sure that you're doing what Jesus has commanded you. Not because it will get you into heaven, but because the Lord has commanded us to do and we should obey Christ because we truly love him. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and 10 for by grace you have been saved through the faith, through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift from God, meaning the faith to believe is a gift from God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. These are the good works that if you're a Christian, 
are evidence of your salvation. Or if you're a Christian, you are walking in these works that God already has for you. And you're being ready. And you're being ready for a second coming. Again, we go back to the main idea. Believers of all ages should await Christ's return with joy and diligence. And unbelievers should repent and believe immediately. Immediately. Jesus moves on to a second illustration. The second illustration involves one slave, two choices. The, first, the slave that chooses to be wise and on the alert. Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Jesus poses a rhetorical question to his disciples. Who is the one that will take heed to what I'm saying? Who is the one that will put this to practice? Who is the one that will take my warning and walk with it and live with it? He calls this slave faithful and sensible. The Greek for faithful is characterized by steadfast affection or allegiance. Can you say your life characterizes allegiance to Christ? Sensible, thoughtful, prudent, wise. Can you say that this characterizes your life? Sensible, prudent, wise. So what are the responsibilities that are given to this slave? To give them their food at the proper time. This involves some sort of responsibility. What responsibility? Let me ask you a question. What are your civic duties as an American citizen? What are your civic duties? Name me some civic duties that you need to do as an American citizen. Yes. Pay taxes. Yes. What else? Yes. Follow laws. Good. Anybody else? That's not the bonuses. What about voting? That's a civic duty, right? What about my favorite? I've, I've told you this many times, but there's nothing like serving on jury duty. Bro, I love serving on jury duty. It's the best. Think about it. It's the pinnacle, the cornerstone of our democracy, that you allow not one judge to have control over you, a group of people, to see the evidence, to see the case, and then judge on that. That's a blessing that we have, that we might not, not always have. But anyways, these are all kingdom citizens, Sorry, U.S. citizens' duties. Now, if I were to ask you, what are, what are your duties as a kingdom citizen, of a citizen from heaven? What would they be? What are your duties as a Christian? Yes. Spread the gospel. Evangelize like there's no tomorrow. Yes. Read your Bible. Pray, meditate on it day and night. Yes. Encourage people through the word. Yes. What else? In the front, over here. What is, what, what is your duty as being a Christian? What are you doing here? Serving God with your gifts. Good. What else? What are we doing here? What are you listening to? The preaching of the word of God, right? You're listening to those. What else? You're here doing what? Or when we go on Wednesday nights or when we do activities, what do we do with each other? Fellowship. Yes. What else? For those that work, how do we honor God? What's a good way to honor God with our what? With your money, yes. Yes, you give to God because he gives to you. And, he de and, he, and it's a commandment, right? 
We pray, we read the word, we fellowship, we serve the church with the gifts that we have received, we equip the church, disciple them, just like hopefully one day y'all be youth leaders like us, and you can pour on the lives of others as well. Evangelize, you persevere in the faith. These are all duties of a Christian, of a kingdom citizen. And notice that, that what word does he use here? He uses the word slave, doulos. Would this word characterize your life today? Being, are you a slave of Christ? Are you a slave of Christ? Are you doing what God has commanded you to do? That if he would come right now, are you diligent? Are you being diligent and doing what he has called us to do? And let me tell you, the good news is if you are a Christian, a true believer, these commands are not burdensome. We are, we are we're joyful to do them. We might not do them all the time, and we're not being perfect, but we're in the pursuit of it. Amen? So what, is this, what does the Lord say about this bondservant? 40, verse 46. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Blessed, characterized by happiness and being highly favored. Highly favored is that slave who does what I tell him to do. Guys, if you're a slave of Christ, you're naturally going to be doing these things. That's a good, that's Ephesians 2.10, the evidence of your salvation. You're going to be doing these things because you are his. They're part of your new nature in Christ. Now, I mentioned something. I mentioned perseverance. I mentioned perseverance. He calls us to persevere. In Matthew 10, 22, you will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. So you are called to endure to the end if you want to be saved. At any point, at any cost, endure. But guess what? The good news is that he sustains us to persevere. John 6, 38 through 40. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, meaning you and I, believer, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Blessed is the slave whom his master finds do so doing when he comes. If you're a believer in Christ, you don't have to worry about the fact, oh, am I not, not going to go? Did I do something wrong? Did I lose my? You don't lose your salvation. That's impossible. No one can snatch us from his hand. He calls you to persevere. He gives you the strength to persevere because it's all for the glory of God. All for his glory. What else does he say about his bondservant? Truly I say to you, in verse 47, that he who will put, that, truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Saints of all ages, of this age, of the end of ages, of any age, if you're a Christian and you believed in Christ, when it comes to being raptured, when it comes to being resurrected, when it comes to, we will reign with Christ eternally. Not only did he justify you, not only does he sanctify you, not only does he glorify you, not only does he give you direct access to God, to approach him boldly and call him Abba Father because of Christ's righteousness, he also will allow you to reign with him. The mercy of a God to a hell-bound sinner. Like you and me didn't deserve any of this, yet he did it for us. 
And not because you're so great or I'm so great, but because God is so great. And for his glory, he does these things. 1 Peter 5, 4, And when the chief shepherd comes, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 2 Timothy 2, 12, If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Now, let me be clear. Jesus is not preaching a works-based salvation here. Okay? He is not preaching works-based salvation. Kind of like, okay, so if Christ comes right now, and I'm in the middle of fighting with my sister or brother, or I'm in the middle of, you know, cursing my parents in my mind because I just hate it when they tell me to do something, and I'm in that mind, does that mean I'm not going to go with Christ? The answer is, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've repented from your sins, you will be with God in heaven. We, guys, we're Christian. We're not perfect. We're not glorified yet. We sin. That's why we have a Savior. Amen? That's a good thing. Now, it's not an excuse. We're like, oh, I'm, I can sin all I want. God's going to save me. That attitude itself is not, pretty much not that you're, the Holy Spirit wouldn't be indwelling in you if you think like that. Oh, it's like, you know, God's going to forgive me. I might as well do whatever I got to do because I can just abuse of his grace. See, a true slave will never want to do that. A true slave would always want to honor, honor his, 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 his master. So to be a Christian does not mean to be perfect. It means to repent from sin that we can commit and try to honor and please God, not to earn heaven, but because you love God and want to obey his commandments. Amen? So we are called to be ready. I mean, being a believer in Christ versus an unbeliever within the realm of being a believer, doing what you're supposed to do because you love God. And it's just an evidence of your salvation. Like in Philippians, remember when we talked about that, being persecuted, rejoicing that because it's evidence of your salvation? You might think, how does, that even, how does that even work? Well, that's what the Word of God says. So the good works that you're doing should motivate you. Be Okay, I'm, 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 I'm in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be in Christ. You're going to fall. You're going to fail. Trust me, it happens to all of us all the time. We struggle with the sin, but we just don't stay there. We want to repent from that sin, move on, renew our mind, and be better every day for the Lord. Amen? So let's move on to the last to the same slave, but if he chose unwisely, he would be foolish. Foolish slave. But if that, sla- that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time. See, the slave who has not repented is called evil. And what does this evil person say? Eh, this whole idea of Christ returning is not going to happen. He said that 2,000 years ago. Where are you? Cog is ticking. 2,000 years and you ain't here. That's what a foolish, evil slave would say. The idea of even God existing is foolish. What's the idea of even a God existing? How can they, if God is so good, why does he all happen, all the, all the things in the world happen? And he wants to use his human uh, uh, knowledge and, and philosophy to, to counter the creator of the universe. That's what a foolish, slaves, a foolish slave does. This slave has not repented. He's serving his own kingdom, is doing as he pleases. He might be saying, or let me just live my life a little bit. He might know the truth, right? Because even the demons believe and tremble, right? He might know God. He might, yeah, but his heart is not there. He is not Lord. Jesus is not Lord. And you might be saying, oh, I'll make him Lord one day when I have all the fun that I want to have as a young person or the things that the Bible prohibits me to do, then I'll do those first, and then I'll, I'll repent and, and make him Lord. Guys, either or, whether, whether they like it or not, whether they think God exists or not, whether they think that making Jesus Lord or not is important, it doesn't matter. 
Christ is coming. It doesn't matter. You will die one day and will be judged for what you chose. Rebellion or lordship of Christ. It's up to you. And this is not common. This happened even as soon as our, our church started in 2 Peter 3, 3-5. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. You see? Why do they mock? Because they just want to live the way they want to live. They want to continue in their sin. And that's why they make excuses for them to continue in their sin. <laughs> 2,000 years. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. These are the mockers. And they will do whatever it takes to keep their lordship of their own lives. But there will consequences to those evil slaves that think this way. Because he not only thinks this way, he acts upon it. Verse 49, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards. This evil slave is simply acting in the nature that he lives in. He is not regenerated, therefore the second coming doesn't matter to him. So what happens to this evil slave? Verse 50, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour which he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He comes back to the same, be ready. He's going to come at any moment unexpectedly. The Greek word for cutting to pieces means to cut in two, and the idea is punishment. What type of punishment do you think the Lord is talking about here? What type of punishment? Like your own consequences for your own actions? That type of consequence? No. He's talking about eternal consequence, where he says, well, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a reference to hell. To hell. So I hope and pray that as we read about Jesus' command to be ready, and after going through all these illustrations, that the Holy Spirit has been convicting you and changing your heart to one that wants to be ready. How many of you think these illustrations seem logical and are encouraging? Raise your hand. If you think they're pretty logical and encouraging. So the application is real simple today. If you raise your hand and said this is pretty logical to me, and you're a Christian, good for you. If you raise your hand and you said it's pretty logical, and you're not a Christian, you're the foolish slave, the evil one that the Bible is describing here. You're the person in Florida that is not preparing for the hurricane when you know it's coming. You're the one that is living for your own desire, your own pleasure, and not wanting to make Jesus Lord. And eternal consequences are hell. It's simple. Are you ready for Christ's return? Number one, have you repented and believed in Christ as your Lord? If you haven't done so, talk to your small group leaders. Talk to your parents. Do so today. Yesterday is too late. Don't wait another second because you have to be ready because that's what the Lord Jesus commands us to do, to be ready for his second coming. Second application, what areas of a slave of Christ do you need to work on? We're all slaves of Christ, the ones that proclaim Christ. We're not perfect. What areas can we work on? Is it reading? Is it praying the word? Meditating, evangelizing, serving the Lord, fellowshipping with each other? Whatever it is, work on that. Work on that as being a good slave of Christ. Do you eagerly wait for Christ's return? Is that ever in your mind? Try it. At least once a week. Meditate on this. Man, Christ is coming. Praise the Lord that Christ is coming. Evil will be done with. Sin and suffering will be done with. We will be with him eternally. Praise the Lord that he's coming for us. And last, let's share this blessing with others. 
Let's not keep this to ourselves, guys. We got to share it to the world. Guys, the world, Christ is coming. Repent and believe in the gospel of Christ. If, no matter how sinful you think you are, Christ will forgive you. Call upon the name of the Lord and he will, be, he will save you. That's what your message should be to the world of gratitude of what Christ did for you. Your mouth just can't stay with this. It can't stay quiet. You just have to say it because it's what God has done for you. You want this blessing for all. I encourage you to do that. And you know what? If you are a true believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you, and he'll give you the power to do so and the strength to do so. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your encouragement to be ready. Thank you for the illustrations that you've given us to allow us to really understand your concept and your truth, Lord, of being ready. I pray for those that are Christians here that you can continue to work in their lives and transform them and, and, and Lord, allow them to grow in the knowledge of your will, Father. And those that aren't, Father, I pray that they can, today will be the day of their salvation, that you, Holy Spirit, can open their spiritual eyes and that they can see themselves a sinner in need of a Savior and call out to you for salvation, Father. This is my prayer today. Until we die, all our prayer that, we, that you save those that need to be saved. It is in your name we pray. Amen.